once again, welcome to Vaughn Forest Church. Like Cecilia said, my name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Vaughn Forest, and I'm excited to be here with you today as we are continuing our message series, Misunderstood, Did Jesus Really Say That? And uh, in this series, we're taking a look at some very common Christian myths that have kind of popped up uh, in our church, in our culture, in our families, and uh, we're comparing those myths, myths with what Scripture says and taking a look to see if they hold up or not. And uh, if you're enjoying this series, I would encourage you, there's a book that the series is based on uh, by Larry Osborne called 10 Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe. And if you're enjoying this, I would encourage you, head over to Amazon, go to your bookstore, uh, buy that book. It's a real short read, but a fantastic one. And last week, Brett did a fantastic job unpacking uh, some myths and debunking some myths when it comes to faith. And so if you missed that message, I would encourage you to head over to VaughnForce.com, get caught up on that, and uh, I know that you will enjoy it. Now, one of the things that I have noticed in my life, and I'm sure that you guys have seen this in your life as well, is sometimes some really smart folks can believe or do some really dumb things. There's no other way to put it. Sometimes highly intelligent folks can believe or do some really dumb things. And I'll give you a great example of this. Back in 1969, NASA, NASA, who was full of rocket scientists and engineers and mathematicians, some of the smartest people on the planet, NASA sends the Apollo 11 mission to the moon. On that mission, there were all kinds of camera equipment. They took all this high-quality footage of the moon landing. This is one of the most significant events to happen in all of human history. They bring those tapes back. They archive those tapes. They put them away in a library. And a couple of years later, someone goes in there and tapes over all of the original tapes of the moon landing from the Apollo 11 mission. Literally, the only footage that we have from the first moon landing is from where we had rebroadcast that to some different networks. So I would argue some really smart people doing a really, really dumb thing. And in the same way that sometimes smart folks can believe or do some dumb things, sometimes really intelligent folks can, can believe some things that are not 100% accurate. And even the most mature, sincere, believer, Christian follower of Jesus has the capacity to believe some things about Scripture that are not accurate. Now, this can be because of faulty assumption. This can be due to uh, a lack of fact-checking. This can be willful ignorance. Or maybe this is just being naive because you've heard something said so many times that you end up repeating that and passing that on, and we never stop and take a look to see what it is that the Bible actually says. And whatever the reason, these spiritual myths, these Christian myths, pop up in our lives, and unfortunately, they can be incredibly dangerous. And the consequences of these myths can be devastating. Maybe someone believes a promise that they think is in Scripture, a promise from God that God never actually made, and then that person becomes very upset and devastated when God doesn't fulfill that promise because he never made it in the first place. Maybe it's someone who takes a step of faith that Scripture never calls us to. Maybe it's someone who doesn't understand that ultimately the only way we can be in right relationship with Jesus is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can be in right relationship with God. But if you ask anyone in our culture today, what do you think it is that God wants of you? They probably say just to be a good person. This is a myth that has popped up, and again, it can be incredibly dangerous, and the consequences can be devastating. And that's why it's so important for us to talk about these myths, to look at what Scripture says, and to debunk them. 
Now, I fully understand why we repeat these sometimes, right? We see someone hurting, they're in a tough situation in their life, and we just repeat whatever it is that first comes to mind to try to help bring them comfort. I get it, but ultimately, the good news is that what God's word actually does say offers us far more comfort, far more peace, and far more instruction than any of these Christian myths that have popped up in our churches, in our culture, in our families today. So if you would, go ahead, take out your notes. We've got a lot of ground to cover today as we take a look at our Christian myth. And the one that I want to talk about today is the myth that a valley means a wrong turn. We're going to debunk the myth today that a valley means a wrong turn. That if you have found yourself in a tough situation in your life, then that must mean that you have taken a wrong turn somewhere. Now, when I use this terminology, valley, what do I mean by that? These are simply the tough seasons in our life. This can be anything from a season of busyness and difficulty all the way up to a devastating life circumstance and everything in between. These are when we walk through the dark and difficult times in our life. That is what a valley is. And I think for all of us, at some point, you have either been in a valley, you are in a valley, or you will go through a valley. So this message is for everyone today. And while some people's valleys are different than others, we all walk through those difficult times in our lives. And when I say wrong turn, what do I mean by that? Well, that is simply a decision outside of God's will that you were not meant to make. It's an action that you take. And the myth has come up that if I find myself in one of these tough seasons and one of these dark seasons of the soul, that ultimately it must mean that I took a wrong turn somewhere, that it had to be my fault. And so we're going to take a look at this myth. We're going to debunk it, and we're going to talk about what to do when you find yourself in the different valleys of your life. Now, before we get to the different kinds of valleys, we have to, the first step we have to take is we have to determine what kind of valley that we find ourselves in. Different valleys in our lives call for different responses. If I accidentally step into like a six-inch hole, my response on how I get out of that is going to be very different than if I fall into like a six-foot hole, right? I need a totally different set of tools. I need an entirely different response in order to get out of a six-foot hole as opposed to a six-inch hole. And these different valleys in our lives require different responses for us if we are to get out of them. So there's three different types of valleys in our lives, and so we're going to take a look at those, and then we're going to take a look at what our response to those should be. The first type of valley in our life is the God-sent-me-here valley. The first type of valley that we see in our lives is the God-sent-me-here valley. Now, this valley is when we feel like we have prayed we have been obedient, we have done everything that we thought the Lord was wanting us to do, and it feels like that obedience has backfired. We were so confident leading up to it that this is exactly what the Lord was calling us to. Maybe this is a new job, maybe this is a physical move in location, maybe this is a relationship that you are investing in, whatever it may be, it's a season of your life that you're like, yep, the Lord has called me to this and I'm going to do this, but then it backfires and it seems like you're going, what in the world just happened? It doesn't turn out like we think it will. Maybe you get fired from that job that you move for. Maybe this 
person that you were building this relationship with, they've turned on you, and you feel betrayed by that person. Maybe it's a financial decision that you made. You prayed about it. You felt like you were supposed to do this, and that financial decision has come back to bite you. But whatever it is, we are left shaken. We are left feeling so unconfident. We are left asking the Lord, why did you bring me to this place? Or even more likely, did I even hear from the Lord in the first place? And this has happened to so many of us. We feel like we're being obedient to the Lord, and then it seems like it derails. And we see this actually happen over and over again in Scripture, where the Lord would lead someone to a valley in their lives. There was a man named Jacob in the Old Testament. Jacob is very famous. Uh, he had a son named Joseph. Joseph was the one whose brothers betrayed him, sold him into slavery in Egypt, and then eventually Joseph worked his way up to being second in command of the entire kingdom of Egypt. And at one point, the Lord tells Jacob to take his entire family, everyone, and move them into Egypt. This wasn't just like, you know, four or five people. This was hundreds of people. It was all the folks that worked with Jacob. It was all the folks that lived with them, it was an entire movement into the kingdom of Egypt. And we see this in Genesis chapter 46. It says, And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. So God is clearly telling Jacob to go to Egypt and to take everyone with him. But what's going to happen? Over the next several hundred years, the nation of Israel would be enslaved by the Egyptians. They would literally be forced into servitude. And I'm sure that if Jacob could look and see that, he would be going, Lord, why did you lead us to this place? We know what happens next. God raises up a man named Moses. And Moses is charged with leading the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. There's 10 plagues, and the Pharaoh says, no, I'm not letting you go. After the 10th one, he says, get out. And so Moses leads the entire nation of Israel heading towards the promised land. But what happens? They find themselves out of the frying pan and into the fryer. They left what they perceived to see as one valley for another one. As they come face to face, they're trying to get to the promised land. The Red Sea is in front of them. There's a mountain to this side, a mountain to this side, and Pharaoh's armies are closing in behind them. They cannot understand why the Lord would lead them to this place. And so what happens picking it up in Exodus? The people of Israel are not happy. They, it says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They are in another valley. They are terrified. The Lord has brought them there. They don't understand why. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And we know what happens next, that Moses extends his staff and the seas part. The Israelites walk through on dry land. The Egyptians take a permanent 
bath. But they didn't know in that moment that the Lord was going to deliver them. They were terrified. They felt that the Lord had brought them out of one valley and into another. And the Old Testament is full of examples of people that have been led into the valley by the Lord. And it's not just in the Old Testament. Jesus would go through valleys as well. Jesus literally would spend 40 days and 40 nights in the desert being tempted by Satan. Jesus would weep over the death of his friend. Jesus himself would be led to his death. And Jesus experienced the same sort of valleys that we experience, led there by the Lord. In Matthew 26, this is the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus is in a valley. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. As we continue into the Old Testament, we would see Stephen, the first martyr for our faith, led into a valley by the Lord. Paul would suffer all kinds of sufferings led into valleys by the Lord. The disciples would all be martyred for their faith except for one who would be exiled to an island. They all were led into valleys by the Lord. And there have been times, I am sure, in your life that you felt so sure that there was a path that you were supposed to take only to find yourself in a valley that you were led there by the Lord. So what is our response? What do we do when we find ourselves in a valley that the Lord has led us down? The only response we have is to stay the course. When we find ourselves in a God-sent-me-here valley, we have to stay the course. When God sends you into a valley, keep going. Walking away from the valley is never a good option. And I'll give you a great example of this. Many of us know of Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah had been told by the Lord to go to the city of Nineveh and to tell them to repent from their many, many sins or else the Lord was going to bring destruction and judgment on their city. Now, Jonah did not want to do that because the city of Nineveh was Israel's enemy. And he was worried that, A, if he went there, he might be killed. And then, B, if he went there and they repented, that the Lord would not destroy them. And Jonah wanted to see them destroyed. So what does Jonah do? Instead of going through the valley that the Lord had led him to, he decides to go a different way. And we all know he ends up in the belly of a fish. You see, obedience and trust often involve walking through a valley in our lives. That is when we demonstrate our obedience and our trust in the Lord. But the Lord is always faithful. No matter the valley that you are in, the Lord has led you there. The Lord is always faithful. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And if you are at a place in your life where you are confident the Lord led you there, but it feels like your obedience has backfired, it is a pretty good bet that you are exactly where the Lord wants you to be. If you were at a place where you were confident the Lord led you, led you there, and it feels like your obedience has backfired, it is a good bet 
that you are exactly where you need to be, even though you would probably want to be almost anywhere else. Two things to help us when we find ourselves in a God-sent-me-here valley, two things to help us stay the course. The first is to keep an eternal perspective, not a short-term perspective. And that can be hard to do. That can be so difficult when we find ourselves in the valley. But keep an eternal perspective, not a short-term perspective. Aren't you glad that Jesus went through the valley? Aren't you glad that he went through those dark times? Aren't you glad that Jesus experienced that so that we could be in a good relationship with God because of his death and his resurrection and be forgiven of our sins? You never know what your situation will do for you or will do for someone else. So keep an eternal perspective, not a short-term one. The second thing I would tell you to help you stay, to hang tough and to stay the course in the valley that the Lord leads you down is never doubt in the dark what the Lord has told you in the light. Never doubt in the dark what the Lord has told you in the light. It can be so easy when we find ourselves in the valley that the Lord has led us to, to sometimes doubt what we first heard. But never doubt in the dark what the Lord has told you in the light. Remember, there can be no victory without a trial. There can be no miracle without a mess. And when God leads you to a valley, it is because he is wanting to use you to do something extraordinary for yourself, maybe for others, maybe both at the same time, whether you see it this side of eternity or not. Oftentimes, when we find ourselves in the valleys that the Lord has led us to, we see that as a punishment, but the Lord is using it as a time of preparation for us in the next season that he has. So whatever you do, stay the course, remember his faithfulness. And I'm not saying that the valley will be any less scary or intimidating, but what I am saying is that by knowing God brought you there and knowing that God will be faithful to you, that can offer us comfort, that can offer us perspective, and that can offer us hope in those tough times. So when we encounter a valley that the Lord has led us to, we stay the course. The second type of valley we're going to talk about today is the I messed up valley. This is the I messed up valley. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Chad, you said it was a myth that a valley means a wrong turn. I said it was a myth that a valley has to mean a wrong turn. Just because a valley doesn't have to mean a wrong turn does not mean that a valley never means a wrong turn. And there are certainly times in our lives where we lead ourselves into valleys because of the decisions that we make. This is self-induced. It's a wrong turn. And you know what? Oftentimes, we usually know exactly what it was that led us to that valley. When I was 11 years old, I experienced a valley. And uh, my friend, Ryan, to tell you the whole story, my friend Ryan lived down the street from me. And he said, hey, man, do you want to come and spend the night this Friday night? Now, this is back in the early 90s. This is the days where you would, like, rent video games and VHS tapes from Blockbuster, and mom would order pizza. This was, like, the glory days, right? So he's like, come and spend the night. I've got another buddy that's going to spend the night, and it's going to be an awesome time. And I ask my parents. They're like, that's fine. I'm like, great. So we get down there, and I get to Ryan's house, and he comes up to me. He says, hey, just so you know, later tonight, do you want to go roll someone's house? And I'm thinking, I've never done that before, but absolutely I want to go roll someone's house. Now, for those of you who don't know what rolling a house means, you may know it as toilet papering a house. It's when you go and you get toilet paper and you throw it in people's trees and you do it a lot. And when they walk out the next morning, you can see the TP gently wafting in the breeze from the branches. Am I right? 
Now, this was a different time. I think those of us that grew up in the early 90s were really the masters of toilet paper. It was a fantastic time. Uh, I saw a meme one time during the opening days of the pandemic. Remember when it was really, really hard to find toilet paper? It was this old guy speaking to this little kid. He was like, back in my day, we used to have so much toilet paper, we would throw it in people's trees. And he's like, okay, whatever, Grandpa. That was how it was. We would do that. So he says, hey, man, later tonight, we're going to go roll this guy's house. I didn't even know who it was, but I was in. So we set off, we make ourselves stay up to like one o'clock in the morning, and we set off to go roll this guy's house. It was about three blocks away. And so we go there, and we've only got like two rolls of toilet paper between the two of us. It was a terrible job. Uh, really, to do it right, you need like one of the Costco size ones, you know what I'm saying? And so we go there to this person's house, and I don't think we had thrown the first roll of toilet paper. A car pulls up in the street and starts honking the horn. Now remember, this is like 1.15 in the morning, and they just start laying on the horn. And they don't stop. I mean, it felt like hours to me that they were doing this. It was probably only like 20 or 25 seconds. But me and my friends, we all look at each other and we scatter. We're out of there. And so I start running. Well, the car starts driving after me. Not like an I'm going to run him down kind of way, but just I'm going to follow this kid and, you know, kind of make him scared kind of way. So I'm terrified, and I look, and I see a house that has a privacy fence over here. So I start running that way. I climb the fence. I jump over the fence. I land in some bushes. I get scrapes all over me. I stand back up. I take a couple of steps, and I fall into a swimming pool. (laughs) I pull myself out of the pool, soaking wet, wearing all my clothes, and all of a sudden, I hear a dog growl. And I look over, and you're probably expecting me to say it was like this massive German shepherd. No, 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 I would have preferred that. It was like four yappy dogs. And those yappy dogs were on me in an instant. So I'm taking off running. I end up having to go through all these other, you know, fences and people's yards and everything. But I remember having the thought, I could have just said no. When he asked me if I wanted to go and roll a house, I could have just said no. And oftentimes, I found, now, I found myself in a valley that night. I was in a pretty deep valley. And when we got back to my friend's house, his parents were up and waiting for us, and the valley got deeper. But oftentimes, when we find ourselves in these valleys of our own making, we know exactly where it was. And this would happen in the Old Testament again and again and again. This happened to the nation of Israel over and over again. They would make a decision to turn away from the Lord. They would find themselves in a valley. We mentioned Jonah earlier who ended up in the belly of a fish. I bet Jonah knew pretty quick where his wrong turn was and why he ended up in that valley. This is also true of King David. Many of us know of King David. David did a lot of really, really great things. It says he was a man after God's own heart, but David also did a lot of really foolish things, and when he made those bad decisions, he would find himself in the valley. But we know from Scripture that David usually knew exactly what it was where he had taken that wrong turn. In Psalm 51, David writes this. He says, For I know my transgressions. I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now, the only good thing about an I messed up valley is that because usually where we know where the wrong turn was, hopefully it can be a little bit easier to find the path out, right? The journey is going to be different from everyone. There are different I messed up valleys for everyone, and there are different journeys that we have to take to get out of these different valleys. But here is the point of all of it. No matter what you've done, no matter what the I messed up valley you are in, the Lord does not want you to stay in that valley one second longer. 
So when we find ourselves in an I messed up valley, our only response is this. It is to change directions now. When we find ourselves in an I messed up valley, we change directions now. Immediately change directions. Do not stay there. So while a God sent me here valley calls for staying the course, an I messed up valley, our response is that we change directions immediately. Now some wrong turns, they can be super quick to fix. Others can take a lot longer. Some of them even take a lifetime. But the responsibility is on you to make the change. Maybe this is a sin you need to walk away from. You need to forsake and turn away. Maybe this is a choice that you've made from not, that's not from the Lord and it's making your life miserable. Maybe this is a financial issue or debt of some kind that you need help with and you need to make a course correction. Maybe this is a relationship with your spouse or your kids or your parents or brothers or sisters, friends, family of some other kind, whatever that may be, that has been broken, that relationship has been hurt, and you know that you need to mend that relationship. Whatever it is, make the choice today to make a change. When you are in a valley of your own devising, the Lord does not want you to stay there one second longer. Change directions now and know that your church is here to help. We have access to all kinds of materials and groups and professionals, pastors, and anything else that you may need to help you make that course correction. And God's word offers us so much guidance on what to do when we find ourselves in an I messed up valley, but you have to make the choice to change directions. Acts 3.19 says this, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And your valley may or may not be a sin issue. Maybe it was just a decision that you made. But when we find ourselves in that valley of our own making, we have to change directions again. It doesn't mean necessarily that we get out of the valley immediately. Some valleys have a quick path out. Others have a much longer path out. But you can start today with a change in direction. One of my favorite authors, Jim Rohn, says this, that you cannot change your destination overnight but you can change your direction overnight. You can't change your destination overnight, but you can change your direction overnight. So when you find yourself in a valley that the Lord leads you to, you stay the course. When you find yourself in an I messed up valley of your own making, you make a course correction, you change directions now. And our third valley that we're gonna talk about today is the I don't understand valley. The I don't understand valley. And I won't lie to you guys. This one's rough. This one's rough. The valley is there, and we don't know why. We don't understand it. Sometimes in hindsight, we can begin to figure it out. But when we're in the moment, when we're in the valley, it's impossible to understand why. This is the valley that you're not sure how you got there, and you aren't sure where the Lord is in this. And honestly, it can be so painful and it can be so frustrating. And we've all been there. It's an extended season, a dark time where the hits just seem to keep coming no matter what we do. And the best example that I can give of this valley is Job. 
If you're not familiar with Job in the Old Testament, the book of Job opens up and Satan is talking to God. And he says, hey, you've got this guy Job, but the only reason he serves you and loves you is because of how good you've been to him. And the Lord had been very good to Job. He had a large family. He had tons of wealth, big house, respect, prestige. And Satan says the only reason that he follows you and loves you is because you've blessed him in this way. And the Lord gives Satan permission to take all of that away from Job. And he does in a single day. Everything is taken from Job. His children are killed. His livestock, his wealth disappears. His house literally is reduced to ashes. And we find Job literally sitting in the ashes trying to figure out why am, why am I in this valley? He is in an I don't understand valley. And he is looking for answers wherever he can find them. In Job 28, Job is trying to figure out the reasoning behind this. He says, but where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth it cannot be found in the land of the living the deep says it is not in me the sea says it is not with me job is trying to understand his circumstances and he just cannot and nor do we ever see in scripture that he ever comes to understand his circumstances this side of eternity he has some friends show up and give him some really bad advice, which is a great reminder to us to make sure you are careful of the advice that you give. His wife shows up. She's of no help. God even shows up at the end. But instead of explaining the circumstances to Job, he says, I am the Lord and you need to trust me. And while our valley may or may not be as deep as Job's is, it is still our valley and it is real and we don't understand it when we find ourselves there. This can be the loss of a loved one before we thought it was time. This can be a sickness or a disease, maybe a sickness or a disease that one of our loved ones struggle with. This can be the loss of a business or a job or Whatever else, there's a multitude of valleys that we walk through that we don't understand why they happen. And ultimately, when we find ourselves in an I don't understand valley, the only thing we can do is trust in what the Lord told Job, which is this, our response is to trust the guide. When we find ourselves in an I don't understand valley, the only response that we can possibly have is to trust the guide. When you find yourself in that valley and you don't know how to navigate it, you have to look to the one who does. You have to look to the God who has been there before. And ultimately, the question that we have to ask ourselves in an I don't understand valley is, do I trust the Lord to be my God? Do I trust the Lord to shepherd me as I walk through this valley? As we begin to wrap up today, I want us to take a look at a passage of Scripture one that's really famous. Uh, you know, there's some famous passages of Scripture that a lot of folks know, believers and non-believers alike. And I would argue that this passage of Scripture is very, very well known around the world. And that's Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is one of my favorite scriptures. I've talked in the past about my struggles with anxiety and worry. And Psalm 23 is a passage that I've come back to many, many times. I have found true in my life that oftentimes just reading the words and reading them out loud it kind of calms the heart rate. And it brings a little more peace to your life. But I want you to understand today that the power of this psalm is not in the poetry. The power is in the shepherd that the poetry is talking about. The power is in the guide that the scripture is talking about, and that is the Lord. 
And you see, I want you, as we read this today, to try to view it with fresh eyes. Because so often when we know a scripture and know it super well, we can tend to kind of gloss past what it really means. And as we view this today, I want you guys to see what it means for us as we walk through the valley. Psalm 23, the good shepherd leading us as we walk through the valley. As we talk about trusting the Lord, I want you to keep that in mind as we read this. So picking it up in Psalm 23, verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And these first three verses that you see here, this is all about God's provision for us. Even as we rest, we have provision and protection from the Lord. Now I want you to take note of where the Lord is in this. It says that he is leading us. He is guiding us. He is out ahead of us, checking the path that we are going to take. So the Lord is out in front, and we are following after him. Picking it up in verse 4, it says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, some translations say the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. So these next verses are all about the valley. They're all about the tough times that we walk through in this life. Again, the valley of the shadow of death, that is about as dark as it gets. But look at where the Lord is now. So in the first three verses, he is out ahead of us, guiding us. But when we walk through the dark valley, it says he is close beside us, comforting us, protecting us, watching out for us. And it's often in those times, those dark times of the soul where the Lord is near us in the valley, when he is close to us, that we can actually hear the most clearly from him. So even in the darkest valleys, the scripture says that God is close beside us, shepherding us, protecting us, guiding us. Picking it up, the last verse of Psalm 23, verse 6 says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. So at first, God is guiding us, checking our path for the steps we take. Then when we walk through the valleys, he's beside us bringing us comfort and protection. Now look at where the Lord is. He is following after us, bringing goodness and unfailing love. And when we walk through the valleys in life that we just don't understand, our confidence is that, that the Lord is in front of us, the Lord is beside us, and the Lord is behind us, providing for us, protecting us, providing comfort for everything that we need. And that is our confidence when we just don't understand. The Lord is good. He is faithful. The band's going to come out and lead us in a time of response. And I would just ask you, during this time, where would you say that you are today? Maybe you're in a valley that the Lord has brought you to, and you need to stay the course. If that's you, stick close to the Lord. Pray. Read scripture. Worship. Seek out other believers to encourage you as you do that, as you walk through that valley. Maybe you're in a valley of your own making today. Maybe you're in one of those I messed up valleys. If that's you, change directions now. Make that decision right now. Walk away from that sin 
Go and find someone that can help you out, provide accountability for you so that you can start to move out of that valley. Maybe you're in a valley where you just don't understand why you're there, but you know that you need to trust the Lord to guide you through it. And in that case, I would encourage you to keep sight of what is true, that the Lord is always faithful. But no matter where you find yourself today, maybe it's a season of preparation for a valley, maybe it's in the valley, no matter where it is, my encouragement to you is that you would have the boldness to take the next step that the Lord is calling you to as you walk through the valleys of this life. Let's pray. So Father, we do love you. God, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. God, you are our guide that takes us through these dark seasons in our life. And God, when you lead us there, we trust you. God, when we find ourselves there because of our own doing, God, we pray that you will help us to find that way out. And God, when we just don't understand, I pray that you would just give us a double portion of faith to believe your word and to know that you were there with us, going before us and preparing the way, walking close beside us, guarding us from behind as we continue to walk through those valleys. And God, I pray for everyone here today, God, watching online in the sound of my voice, God, that you would bring peace and comfort to whatever situation they may be facing. God, we're so grateful for all that you've done for us. God, we're grateful that you walked through the valley so that we could spend eternity with you, so that we could be in right relationship with you. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.